Welcome to the Word Encounter, episode 249, where today we'll be picking things up in 1 Timothy chapter 5 as we left off with chapter 4 yesterday. So let's get started here. In verse 1, it says, uh, remember, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Paul is not in jail. He's just giving him uh, some instructions because uh, Timothy is young. He's a pastor of a church, a growing church, and he's running into some uh, difficulties. So we see Paul says, don't, rebu- don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with all purity. And so you know, Paul is instructing uh, Timothy to, to treat his, his, his congregants like family, you know, and honor them in such a way. The support of widows in verse 3, Paul says, support widows who are genuinely in need. This is important here. A lot of people out there, uh, I don't know about other countries, I'm sure the same thing exists, but uh, I know in the United States, people, um, they want to take advantage of and scam the church. You know, they want to see what they can get out of the church. A lot of times these people know the scripture better than the people who go to the church. And so they pull on the church in order to support their uh, or augmenting their lifestyles or what they want to do. And and, and this is... uh, This is wrong. This is absolutely wrong. And Paul is identifying this. He recognizes that this is the case. And so he says, support widows who are genuinely in need. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness towards their own family first and to repay their parents for this pleases God. And so one of the things that we're to do is we're to honor thy father and thy mother. And so uh, the children, we're all the children of somebody as they get advanced in their age and whatnot. Uh, it's on us to take care of them, you know, if they can't take care of themselves. Instead of looking for, you know, people outside the family, outside the blood family uh, to take care of them, we should be taking care of our own. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says in verse 7, uh, command this also, if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So he, he doubles down, he doubled down, <laughs> he doubles down on this, right? He says that, you know, if you don't take care of your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. No widow is to be enrolled on the list, I guess on the list for support. No widow is to be enrolled on the list. Oh, it says it right there. No widow is to be enrolled on the list for support unless she is at least 60 years old and has been the wife of but one husband and is well known for good works. That is, if she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints feet, uh, helped the afflicted and devoted herself to every good work but uh, refuse to enroll younger widows for they are drawn away from Christ by desire They want to marry, and they will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. Now, what Paul is saying here is that for younger widows here, uh, in their desire to get married, they may be enticed to draw away from Christ in order to satisfy the the desire to get married. And in doing so, they they will receive condemnation because they have renounced their faith, you see. And so Paul is saying, well, you know, watch out for that. And these aren't these aren't to be supported. And so he's laying down in some specific detail with regard to 
who uh, Timothy should be looking out for as far as support is concerned. Because if you support those, obviously you're pulling on resources from the other congregants in order to support the people that need support. And so he's identifying who's eligible or who should be eligible for that support and who shouldn't. In verse 14, he says, Therefore, I want younger women to marry, have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. If any believing a woman has, uh, if any believing woman has widows in her family, let her help them. Let the church not be burdened so that it can help wid- widows in genuine need. So again, he's saying, look, if a widow has family, that family should be looking out for her, should be taking care of her. And the church shouldn't be burdened with that because there are genuine widows out there or there are widows out there with genuine need. They have no family. They have no support. They, they're, they're essentially going to be homeless and whatnot. So the church has to watch out for those. Honoring the elders. It says in verse 17, the elders are good leaders the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So Paul is saying, look, those who are feeding the flock deserve to get paid, is what he's saying. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker is worthy of his wages. And so he's making it plain. The people who are preaching and teaching and feeding the flock and whatnot, they deserve double honor. In other words, Paul is saying they deserve to be well paid, essentially is what he's saying. In verse 19, he says, don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. See, a lot of times things can happen when churches split, when churches run into trouble. Sometimes this is the result of murmuring, backbiting, gossip and whatnot. And the accusations aren't supported. So Paul is saying, look, this has to be supported by two or three witnesses. It says in verse 20, publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. But if it's found to be true that the elder has sinned in such a way that uh, it's necessary to call him on the carpet, then it says rebuke him so that the rest. In other words, Paul is saying make an example of him. See, publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. And so Paul is saying, make an example of those who do this so that the rest of them will stay in line and will not venture off. Verse 21, he says, I solemnly charge you. Before we go on, let me let me give a little a little uh, anecdote here uh, with regard to the public rebuke. I know some managers and corporations would deploy this strategy. If somebody would get promoted to a new position and they're just starting out and they have their first meeting with their subordinates, let's say they had 10 people reporting to them, this new manager would go in and purposely wait and look for somebody to jump on and or somebody to rebuke, if you will. And as soon as that opportunity presented itself, he or she would nail them you know, very, 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 very harshly, you know, publicly in front of all of the other direct reports. And the reason that they did that is because they wanted to set the tone 
with regard to loyalty, obedience, and so on and so forth. Now, I'm not advocating this strategy by any means. I think the strategy stinks personally. But the point is, is that when you do something publicly like that, it does have the power to influence and affect the others who witness this with regard to their behavior going forward. Verse 21, I solemnly charge you before God and God in Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. So Paul is telling Timothy, do everything with an even hand. It doesn't matter who it is. Do not be biased. Verse 22, don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't, um, don't continue drinking water only, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So apparently Timothy has had some health issues. And so now Paul has given out uh, uh, some health advice with regard to how Timothy should be watching out to take care of himself. You know, because if you don't take care of yourself, you aren't going to be any good to anybody else. In the last chapter, it says uh, honoring masters or honoring employers. In chapter 6, verse 1, it says, All who are under the yoke as slaves should regard their own masters as worthy of all respect, so that God's name and his teaching will not be blasphemed. Let me read that again, translated. All those who work for other companies as employees should regard their own employers as worthy of all respect so that God's name and his teaching will not be blasphemed. When you are working for a company, when you're an employee of somebody else, you must work as if you are working onto God himself. Why? Because his reputation precedes him. You need to not be a rebuke on his reputation. See, you need to be an enhancer of God's reputation. If people know that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus and they see that you have an unparalleled work ethic, then that will bring honor to the kingdom of God. See, if you do the opposite, that'll bring reproach upon the kingdom of God. So it's very important with regard to how you conduct yourself when you're on the job. In verse two, it says, let those who have believing masters let those who have employers or believing employers not be disrespectful to them because they are brothers, but serve them even better since those who benefit from their service are believers and dearly loved. False doctrine and human greed. Paul says, teach and encourage these things. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. For these come, uh, uh, from these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and, uh, and deprived of the truth, who examine, or excuse me, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. So Paul is saying, Timothy, watch out for these people. There are a lot of people out there that want to profit on spiritual words, on spiritual things. And so they may get involved in, in, in debates and arguments and whatnot, trying to pull people away from the true gospel to follow them. Why? Because they want material gain. And so he's saying, watch out for these people. He says in verse 6, but godliness with uh, contentment is great gain. 
For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, it's a famous verse. For the love of money is a root, not the root, it says is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and, and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, first of all, it says it doesn't say money. It says for the love of money. And so, in other words, uh, the, the, the coveting of money, the strong, strong, strong desire of money, such that it supplants everything else in your life. The love of, it implies here that, that the love of money is the greatest love, that is in existence within these people, and that is a root of all kinds of evil. It, it, it inspires people to do evil things, and it inspires people to do unrighteous things, you know, and so that's at the root. Money in itself is benign. It's neither good nor bad. It just is, you know, but the love of money, the love of money is what the problem is, and so money can be good because it can be used as a tool to do good, but it can also uh, be used as a tool to do harm. Fight the good fight in verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from these things. So Paul is telling Timothy, flee from these desires, flee from, the, from these things, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In verse 15, it says, God will bring about uh, in his own time. Well, God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, uh, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives, uh, and un who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. Then he gives instructions to the rich. So he's given Timothy instructions to give to the rich. He says, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Now, no, he's warning uh, Timothy about those who have a love of money and a desire to get rich. And so some can, can misconstrue this, right? They can, they, can, they can think that this means that, that being rich is evil or bad or, or something like that. Paul didn't say that. He didn't say that. He was talking about their desires. He's talking about what's in their heart. He, didn't, he wasn't talking to, uh, about their particular uh, reality in life. He was talking about what's in the heart. Now he's saying, now to those who are rich, which implies that there are those who are rich who are believers. Okay? Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the un uncertainty of wealth, but to set their hope on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. And so Paul is saying that, you know, if you're rich uh, to a degree, God may have provided uh, that for you to enjoy, but not to abuse, not to be conceited, not not to be generous. <laughs> In verse 18, he says, instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share. 
storing up uh, treasures for themselves as a foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. So uh, listen to this. He says, instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share. Then it's followed with storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age. In other words, Paul is saying that if you share, when you share out of your generosity, you impact people. And Paul is saying that that stores up treasures for yourself. That in itself is a good work. And it provides for a good foundation for the coming age. Guard the heritage in verse 20. Timothy, guard has God, excuse me, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge. Huh, what does this mean? Paul is instructing Timothy to don't waste your time with circular arguments and arguments and debates that some people like to get into. See, avoiding irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is a falsely called knowledge. In other words, man calls some things knowledge that aren't really knowledge, and, and, and they may want to argue and debate about it, and Paul is saying, don't do that. He says in verse 21, he says, by professing it, some people have departed from the faith. From the faith. <laughs> and then he says, grace be with you. And so that's, that's kind of his last parting advice in his first letter, right, is don't get involved in these useless circular discussions. Some people have actually departed from the faith because of it. And then he says, grace be with you. And so that is the end of his first letter to Timothy. And then we find a few years later, he writes his second year or his second letter to uh, Timothy. Now, the circumstances under which he writes this letter are very, very different. Paul is now in prison in Rome. He was in prison. He was out for a few years. And uh, during that time when he was out, he wrote the first letter to Timothy. Then he got imprisoned again. And now he's writing his second letter. And this is, in fact, Paul's last letter. This is the last thing that he writes. It's written somewhere around A.D. 66 or A.D. 67, somewhere in that vicinity. And it contains final instructions to Timothy because Paul knew that his death was pending. There had been some uprisings in Rome and, and Christians were being persecuted and put, uh, put to death. And so it was at this time that Paul was in, uh, in prison. Nero uh, was Caesar at that time. And he you know, went about persecuting and executing Christians. And Paul knew that his time was up relatively shortly. And so this is the last letter that he writes with his final instructions. Now think about uh, if you're a parent and you're about to go out with your spouse, you have a babysitter over to, the, uh, over to uh, your place and um, but before you leave, you give the babysitter uh, some final instructions. And so those are going to be the ones that you tend uh, to want the babysitter to really remember before you depart for your evening. And so can you imagine, you know, writing this letter, Paul, knowing that it's, this is his last communication with anybody, his last written communication anyway with anybody. And what had to be on his heart and in his mind as he's uh, pinning 
uh, what he wants Timothy to remember um, as he is about to depart. And so Paul ministered for about 30 years, you know, um, uh, conducting three missionary trips and encountering all kind of difficulties and whatnot. And so here he is in his final spot. And I can only imagine the things that were going through his mind before he actually wrote this last letter. And so first, as is usual, Paul gives a greeting uh, to Timothy, and then he writes uh, Thanksgiving. And then in, in verse five, he says, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. So his mother, Timothy's mother and grandmother must have been pillars of the faith. And so Paul is recalling those. And he says, you know, that, that, heritage, is, that heritage is in you, Timothy. I'm convinced it is in you. He says in verse 6, Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. To rekindle. So had Timothy's flame kind of diminished a little bit? I don't know. But Paul is saying, rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. And so if I am to deduce and read between the lines here, maybe Paul is sensing that Timothy had slipped into some fear. And because of that, his flame was diminishing. And so he's trying to stoke it back up. He's trying to encourage it again. Not ashamed of the gospel in verse eight. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and uh, immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, because I know whom I believed and am uh, persuaded that he is able to guard what uh, what he has been entrusted to me until this day. And so he says, be loyal to the faith. In verse 13, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that uh, are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that all those in the province of Asia deserted me, including two of my closest uh, uh, allies. Then he says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of another one of his allies, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. And so we can see here, Paul is like going through a list of things, right? He says, uh, he says, you know that there have been people that have abandoned me, essentially saying, you know, so Timothy, don't be shocked or surprised when and if people abandon you. It happened to me. This is the older man giving the younger man wisdom and advice on what to look out for as he goes forward. And then he's saying, you know, may the Lord grant mercy, you know, on those 
who have been uh, uh, a refreshing to me and not ashamed of my imprisonment. And he's saying that there are going to be those who are going to stick with you, you know. And so you're not necessarily going to be left alone and abandoned. He says, on the contrary, when he was in Rome talking about the guy who did not leave him, he diligently searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant uh, that he obtain mercy from him on that day, on the day of the Lord. So Paul is saying, may the Lord grant that this companion of mine who came looking for me, may the Lord grant him mercy on the day of the Lord. For know very well, uh, you know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. And so, you know, as Paul is going through his final thoughts and delivering what he thinks is uh, um, important for Timothy to remember, I think it's important that we take notes from what Paul did with regard to how he's going about encouraging and edifying those that are coming behind him. Uh, We don't, none of us knows the timing of our departure. And so we should not put these things off. There's no reason that we need to put these things off with regard to the encouragement and the edification of others. We, we, should, we shouldn't come to the end of the line saying, man, I wish I had the time to tell so-and-so this or tell so-and-so that. No, let's do it now. Let's do it today. Let's make sure that people know how we feel about them today because tomorrow's not promised. And with that, we are done. We'll pick it up and finish 2 Timothy tomorrow in the next episode. Jesus is asking you, do you believe me? Do you believe who I say that I am? If so, if you believe this in your heart, then will you confess publicly with your mouth that I am Lord and Savior of your life? For if you do, I promise you will be saved and you will not be put to shame. That's essentially what the gospel is. That's essentially what Jesus is saying. If you believe in me, then confess who I am, and you will not be put to shame, and you shall be saved in that day. Stay safe. Take care. Be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And should he bless us with another wonderful day tomorrow, we'll see you in the next encounter of the Word Encounter. Bye-bye.